The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. This is season three. Who would have thought that I would have still been around for season three? I think we're up to about 165 episodes now. And uh, today I have a guest who's been with me, I think twice, maybe three times. No, I think it's twice. It's Chad Nelson from Virginia. And we've had good feedback from the conversations uh, that I've had with Chad. You like uh, our sort of, oh, what would I call it? I don't know, but the way we sort of have enlightened moments as we're talking and uh, so everybody's really interested in Chad and I'm interested in talking to Chad today. Did I tell you he's from Virginia in the USA? Good evening to you, Chad. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Daniel. Great to be with you. Uh, look, it's really good. I was glad when you said, yes, you'd like to come back and do another podcast. I always enjoy talking to you. I always come off the podcast thinking, oh, wow, I thought of that in a different way. And oh, I just learned this. So it's always interesting. I think you're in a different room to last time as well. I'm still in our basement. Um, I'm just angled a little bit differently. So that's maybe why it looks a little different. Okay. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about emotional intelligence and harnessing the energy in our emotions so as to move us toward our values. Absolutely. Um, You know, emotional intelligence has really been ringing high for me for a few years. Um, You know, a lot of the work that I do is around this idea of leadership, life, coaching, and I know that's really broad, but, you know, like any like type of business books I read or productivity, uh, maybe just um, health in life, it's almost like you cannot escape this idea of emotional intelligence. And so that's just really been on my radar for a while. A lot of the people that I do coaching with, it invariably uh, comes up. And so I've kind of put a little bit of my twist on it with that kind of subtitle you gave there where how can we learn to take the immense energy that's in our emotions and kind of force us forward to move consciously and strategically toward our values? And I guess with emotional intelligence, most people would score themselves on the IQ level. And emotional intelligence, I don't know if it is something now that we test for, but uh, uh, IQ is always something we test for and we go, oh, fantastic, that person's got an IQ of 125, 130, 140. But emotional intelligence is something that a lot of people with a high IQ actually are quite lacking in because they're more focused on, I guess, numbers, data, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, some of what I've heard around that is, um, you know, if you think of most of IQ as like a, a hard skill, I mean, I don't know if that's an accurate classification, but especially like in a business setting, people will talk about, you know, um, you know, if you're interviewing somebody, look at hard skills and soft skills, hard skills, maybe being able to do the mathematics of the work, being able yeah. to uh, fix the machinery where emotional intelligence has more to do with that kind of interpersonal communication with a, a boss, a coworker, a customer. And so, um, you know, I do know there's measurements out there. I haven't used any of them, but I have heard of them. Uh, but it does seem like emotional intelligence. I think while people can um, improve upon it, um, maybe it's a little bit more abstract than like a hard skill. 
I remember doing an IQ test probably 10, 15 years ago, and I'm not going to say what my result was, but I was like, wow, actually, I've got quite a high IQ. But then when you look at it, and when I've spoken to people, they've said, look, a high IQ is great. A medium IQ is great. Mine was a medium IQ. I'm not like brain buster. But then they said, what, what's more important is your emotional intelligence and how you connect with people and how you're able to empathize, sympathize and work in that emotional range where you can have a more solid connection rather than an IQ, I guess, connection. Yeah. You know, I know uh, back in the, I believe it was the mid nineties, Daniel Goleman wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence, uh, kind of a seminal work there on it. And I remember, uh, I believe it was in that book, he talked about a, a facet of emotional intelligence being that interpersonal communication, that ability to empathize with other, connect with other people. And um, while I, part of the work that I do does have that aspect in it, there's a couple other areas where I focus a little bit more, but that's actually a, a, an important component of it, to be sure. So how do we harness our emotions? Yeah, so there are really two facets that I focus on when harnessing. And, you know, maybe I could just start out with an example of what I mean by that. So, yeah. you know, if you, if you think of like your house filter in your HVAC unit, you know, as your, as your cooling system is running or your heating system is running, that house filter is meant to catch maybe pollen, uh, pet dander, dust particles, well, just as that catches those things, I think of emotional intelligence helping us to like catch the energy in our emotions so that we can use that energy to kind of move us to actually act rather than not act so that we can move closer to our values. And so one of those pieces uh, I think is self-awareness, um, getting self-aware when we are caught up in an emotional snare. So if I think of like some main emotions like um, joy, anger, sadness, fear, you know, any one of us who's experienced those can have realized that there is immense energy pulsating through our body when we experience those emotions. Yes. And so what if we could kind of capture that energy and have it be a catalyst to move us forward toward our values? And so self-awareness is the first big part. Am I, am I even aware that I'm caught up in like, I'm angry at this person, I'm getting frustrated at this person, self-awareness. And I think one of the big things with self-awareness is this, because somebody might ask, well, how do I get self-aware? Like, what if I'm already a mile down the road in this anger and now I'm all of a sudden self-aware? So I think one of the big things is to have a physical cue in our environment that is a reminder for us to kind of self-check. Hey, where am I at emotionally right now? Like that person just left my office, um, left my house, like kind of self-check. And I think, and the interesting thing about a physical cue is this, you know, um, uh, James Clear wrote a book a couple of years ago called Atomic Habits. And I remember him saying in there that we have something like 11 million sensory receptors in our body for, yeah. for, for processing sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, et cetera. Well, the interesting thing that caught my attention in that is he said that of those 11 million sensory receptors, 10 million are dedicated to eyesight. And so having some physical cue in our environment that we can see, that is our reminder to get self-aware, like, hey, where am I at emotionally right now, can be hugely impactful. But to go one step maybe beyond that is this, what's my relationship with that cue? So really quick example on that. I remember a few years ago, I read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, huge impact in my life. 
And I remember a line in that book where he said this, and I hear a lot of people talk about it. And so I think it's a lot of people are, are impacted by it. And he said, we have the freedom to choose the attitude we wish to take against our circumstances. I remember he went through three concentration camps and out of that, he said, we have the freedom to choose the attitude we wish to take against our circumstances. So wow. deep impact on me. Yeah. And so when I read that book, like big impact, and I remember I had this goal, of like, I want to be more self-aware, like where, where am I in my attitude at these different moments throughout my workday? Now I could put a sticky note in my office and just say, Hey, Chad, remember you can choose your attitude in this moment. And that would be fine. But I have a special relationship with that book that I read because of the impact it had on me. So what I do is I set that book in my work environment. And every time I see it, again, those 10 million sensory receptors that are seeing that book, and I have a special relationship with that book, it's a tremendous self-awareness piece for me to get aware of where am I at emotionally? Where am I at with my attitude right now? So with the guy you were just mentioning that you read his book, he went through three concentration camps. And he, came, Franklin, yep. yeah, and he came out of that with still self-awareness of how you feel in those sort of circumstances is actually dependent on yourself. Yeah, yeah. And we have that as human beings, we have that unique ability as humans to kind of take hold of that freedom that we have, even though every liberty has been taken away from us, we still retain that freedom to choose our attitude in this moment. Like you were saying just before, I mean, with joy and anger, I would imagine that harnessing your self-awareness while you are in a joyful mood would be a lot easier to do than when you're in an angry state. Yes, absolutely. Because you're already on that positive footing of, I feel good, things are good. And so I guess you're more open to think creatively and more positively because you're already in a joyful mood. And when you're feeling anger, it would be, uh, how would you harness the anger to something different? Yeah, absolutely. So let me give you a quick example on that. And that'll kind of get me, so move from self-awareness to what I think is the crux of emotional intelligence, which is managing, not suppressing, but managing our emotions. And when we manage our emotions, that's really where kind of the, the magic, if you will, of harnessing our emotions. So I remember I had a friend, um, this has been whew, years and years ago. He was kind of self-describe himself as a, as a bit more passive, reserved. Yeah. And he was in a meeting with a group of people and he was in charge of, of leading this group of people. And it, it started out just a little chaotic, like not, not people weren't being rude to each other, but people were just kind of talking over each other a little bit. And his reflex kicked in where he just kind of wanted to withdraw a little bit, kind of step into his passivity a little bit. And he felt himself getting angry that why is this kind of just turning into chaos a little bit? And so he remembered some of these principles. And so he said, okay, I've got this surge of energy. Like I'm, I'm getting really frustrated at people right now, just talking over each other in this meeting. And so what he did is he just channeled that energy to make himself act when he otherwise wouldn't. And he kind of just hit the table, got everybody's attention and said, hey, we need to move forward in an orderly manner here. Yeah. And then kind of started and then they moved forward in health in the meeting. And so for him, it was everything told him, you know, because of his pattern, just kind of withdraw, slink down, 
Yeah. But he used that anger, that emotion that was pulsating through him to kind of just slap the table to get people's attention and then move forward with the meeting. So that would be like a very elementary, practical example of harnessing our emotion. But I, I see what you mean there because um, I know, look, I don't know if I could harness my emotion in that moment, but I know that if I'm ever angry or frustrated with someone, if I take five minutes, an hour, maybe a couple of hours to rethink it, then I can come back and I can go, okay, so what happened in that situation was A, B, and C, and I think this is the best way to handle it. I don't know if I could harness the anger in that exact moment and act on it. So well done to him because, yeah, I, I think when you're getting frustrated and angry, it's really hard to calm that down a bit to be able to speak in a way that's not going to just come across as you've pissed me off and this is the way we should do it. So that's amazing. Right. Well, so, yeah, let me uh, – I'll share this because um... – what I want to share is a way to do it within 60 to 90 seconds. And I've actually experimented with this. Do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Have I had some success with it? I have. Yeah. So um, let me just say this on the front end. When we talk about managing, not suppressing, but managing our emotions, I would say this. So when we suppress our emotions, anger, grief, what have you, when we suppress a counter pressure builds and that counter pressure will find expression somehow in some way to some degree. Yeah. So for example, let's say you're somebody who tends to be assertive and you're suppressing some anger you have now. I believe that's going to find expression. Your assertiveness is going to move to aggression. If you're somebody who tends to be passive and you're suppressing emotion, that counter pressure is going to move you from passivity to passive aggressiveness or aloofness withdraw. Yeah. Yeah. So in some way that that counter pressure is going to build and it's going to find expression. And again, maybe not immediately, but if we keep suppressing it in some way. And so, yeah, we, we don't want to um, suppress those emotions. And I think there's two ways primarily that we suppress our emotions. We fight against them or we flee from them. And so to fight against our emotions might be something like I'm angry in this moment with someone right now. And so the way I fight against that anger is I just fake positivity so I can get through this conversation and get on my, with my day. Now, that may have some utility because, hey, I've got some work I got to get done. But if I never circle back to that emotion to see what I need to learn and circle back to that person, if there is a, some follow-up I need to do, then that's just, I'm just suppressing it. So that's fighting against. Fleeing from our emotions, another way we suppress would be somebody makes me mad. They walk into my office. Maybe they say something that offends me, or maybe they fail to follow through on a commitment. And the way I flee from that anger is I just bury myself in my work. I just bury myself in like a Netflix documentary because I don't want to feel this emotion right now. Yeah. Now, again, maybe that helps us just to like get some work done. We've got to get done. But if we never circle back to see what there is to learn from that emotion, we're just suppressing it. And that counter pressure is going to build. And so I think I've mentioned her book in the past, but Susan David had a book she wrote a few years back called Emotional Agility. And she talks about a couple steps um, on how we can kind of like unhook from our emotions. And so kind of borrowing from her, I think there's three steps that we take when, um, when we're feeling that, when we're getting caught up in an emotional snare and we become self-aware. First is we unhook from the emotion and then we identify core values in our life would be step two. And then step three is we take a step forward, 
however small, toward that value. And that kind of sounds like a long process. I believe there's, a, again, I've experimented with a process which can take 60 to 90 seconds to get us on that road to victory. And, and the more you work on that, the, the easier it would become, wouldn't it? 100%. 100%. That's why I would call it not, a, not an ability, but a capability. So we, we have the capability to practice and to get better at this. And so what I would say is that the first thing with unhooking, you know, there's a line that goes something like this. When we have an emotion kick in on us, there's a stimulus to that emotion. And then there's our response. Yep. And in between it is a space. Yep. And in that space is our freedom and power to choose the response we want to take. Yep. So how do we unhook from that emotional snare? There's two things to consider. One is mindsight and one is mindfulness. So mindsight is actually the name of a book. And the idea is if you get caught up in an emotional snare, use your mind's sight and picture yourself putting that emotion we'll call anger in a raft. Yep. And then kind of push that raft gently out into the lake and stand on the shore and observe that emotion in the raft. What's it do? What is it doing? What color is it taking? What sound is it making? What movement is it making? And you're just taking time to observe it. What, what can happen with that is you begin to realize you have an emotion. The emotion doesn't have you. And so you can begin to experience a little bit of unhooking, but now, so that's mindsight. Now the practice of unhooking that I have found more impactful is mindfulness, which a lot of us have heard of that, but the specific yeah. practice to that is when we get caught up in an emotional snare, we get self-aware of it, begin to find where is that emotion showing up in the body? If it's anger, maybe it's your shoulders are tight. Your back is tight. You're frowning your forehead. Maybe you've got butterflies in your stomach. Where's that, where's that emotion showing up in your body? And then you begin to breathe deeply into those parts of your body while thinking about the thing that frustrated you. Let me give you an example of this. Yeah, I had a friend tell me this story once. So he, he was working on a project and it took twice as long as he thought it was going to take. He was working on it with a few other people. And he had some other things he wanted to get done, but he agreed to help with this project. So what he thought was going to take three hours took six hours. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of six hours, he is full bore emotional snare, all caught up in it. He's not self-aware and he's just in a full emotional snare. And so as the, as the sixth hour passes, a ray of light comes into his life and he realizes, wow, I've been really aloof, withdrawn from my partners in this project. Cause that's what he does when he gets angry, he gets aloof and distant yeah. and he gets self-aware. And so he said, okay, I'm self-aware. Where's this showing up in my body? And so for him, his shoulders were really tight and he was frowning in his forehead. And so he just began to take slow, deep breaths into those two parts of his body, into his shoulders, into his forehead. While he was doing that, he began to think back through the last six hours. So he was like walking into the eye of the storm. And there's a paradox that as we walk into the eye of the storm, the storm can begin to dissipate. Yep. And so he began to do that. And after about 40 seconds, his emotional temperature started to come down. Now, did it, did it clear out all the way? No. But his emotional temperature did come down after about 40 seconds of just breathing into those parts of his body and thinking about the last six hours. Now, he said something interesting happened. The first about 10 to 15 seconds, he said there was immense kind of stirring in his body that was saying, do not do this. Sit in your self-righteous anger. 
your justification, do not do this. But he continued onward. So after about 40 seconds, his emotional temperature came down. And then he thought, okay, what is something I value in life right now? And for him, it was there was um, one particular person on that team that was going to be leaving that he just wanted to have some quality time with that person. And it, 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 it had been on his mind. And so for him, in, in that moment, he's like, one of the things I highly value right now is quality time with that person before they leave. Because uh, they're going to be leaving the team and leaving the state. And so that hit right away. And so he, he's, the next question was, what's, what's one thing I can do, however small, to begin moving in a new direction? So for him, it was, I'm going to walk up to that person and just say, golly, I'm going to miss you. How you been doing lately? How's the family been doing? And so all that took about 60 to 90 seconds. Emotional temperature came down just enough. He unhooked from the emotion and he was able to take a few steps forward in light of what he valued in that moment in his life. And to me, that is just a very, very simple picture of what it is to harness our emotion to move forward in our goal. Brilliant. Um, There were so many bits and pieces in that that I really liked. Um, uh, One part was when you talked about uh, having the space between the emotion and what was happening. I know in CBT, we look at what's the behavior in between the outcome and the beginning. Um, and it's amazing that there, there is that space when we look for it, where we can make changes or have new ideas uh, instead of just going full pelt with what we think we should do. Also, uh, you said that... Um, when you're holding on to an emotion, so if you're, you've had a disagreement with someone and you don't actually resolve the issue, you actually hold on to that for a lot longer than if you resolve the issue at the time or revisited it a day or two later and went, hey, look, what we talked about the other day, this is how I felt. Tell me how you felt. Let's resolve this so that we can move completely through it. Because otherwise you hold on to that. And then any other little thing that happens, you go, well, that goes with that then, doesn't it? And you start to hold this big ball of issues that when you really think about it, it was only the main issue that affected you. But all these other little tiny bits you've added on and made it this huge thing that if you don't let go of, then you just start to feel sick and tired and your physical health starts to um, wane and your mental health, you don't sleep as well. And I don't think people realize how much we hold on to with our emotions. You know, a lot of people say, oh, no, I got over that. But nine times out of 10, you don't just get over it. And you might go and talk to a friend about it, but it's usually best to take it back to the person that you had the issue with, resolve it, and then you don't have that issue anymore. And you learn from that from each other's outcome. And you were talking about um, toxic positivity it says toxic positivity silences negative emotions. And Ooh. I wrote that, I don't know, uh, oh, on 17th of May. I haven't done it as an opt- update yet because I'm, I'm just waiting for the right day when I think it will really hit people when they read it because we all put on a front and some of us put it on more and uh, positivity is great. It's amazing to feel positive about things that you're going through. It's amazing to feel, well, I guess to compartmentalize parts of your life. So some pieces are completely positive. Other pieces are really crap. But I I don't think that people realize when they're coming across to positive and it is a toxic and it's covering up negative emotions, I don't think they really understand how much damage they're actually doing to themselves because they're not dealing with the issues that are actually there that are the negative emotions. So it's great to be positive, but you want to be 
positive by just being properly positive and not pushing positivity over the top of your negativity. Yeah. You know, did that man, make sense? It did. It did. And it had a couple of things pinging in my mind. And so let me see if I can, I remember them by the time I get to the second one, I hope I remember it. So one is, you know, when you were talking about like toxic positivity, I kept thinking of like optimism, people who are optimistic, you know, and there's a, there's this idea called tragic optimism, which I love it because optimism comes from a Latin word, meaning the best. And so when we talk about tragic optimism, it doesn't mean like faking positivity in just tragedy. What it means is, can you make the best out of a difficult situation? And one of the ways we can make the best out of it, what's there to learn from it? Yep. And maybe that's the positivity that is healthy, is an idea of optimism. Can we make the best out of a difficult, difficult situation? And maybe making the best out of it is really just learning, is really asking ourselves, what can I learn from this? And being optimistic is actually on the road to positivity, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And we all have things in our lives that we go, oh, that's really bad. I think I've only just started to realize that I can still have a happy life with tragic things happening around me. And when someone said to me a few weeks ago, why are you so happy? You've got all these things going on. I've got a housemate who's got terminal cancer. And I said, because I, I help him where I help him, but that doesn't mean that the rest of my life has to be in tragedy. And so doing the podcast, my work, spending time with family and friends, that's all the positive side. This has still got a positive side. My housemate is really positive about what is happening. And uh, I mean, he is, I don't know if I could think in the same positive steps that he has been able to, but what I've learned from that is that from a tragedy, you can take positivity, but when you can separate oh. things, you can still have a positive and happy life and you can still deal with the things that aren't great. It doesn't have to overwhelm your whole life and become all encompassing, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are a few ways you can work through positivity and negativity. I yeah. guess that's the way I've been working through it, seeing the positive side here and understanding that this is what I'm grateful for and I appreciate, but then I also have this part that's going on as well. And I have to deal with that in a slightly different way. But if you make it all encompassing, then you don't even have these positive moments and then you start to suffer with your mental health as well because you can't be there for someone if you're just focused all on the cancer and what's going to be the outcome. So I guess that's harnessing your emotions, isn't it? Because I'm yeah. able to see this side and this side and be able to work with both but not let them all overtake me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and you were... I, and I, I'm sure with, with just some of the, the difficulty there, the emotions, and you had mentioned this earlier, just even, um, I don't remember how you worded it, but I'm going to just say like emotions that are kind of unpleasant to experience. And it seems to me that when we, when we suppress meaningful but unpleasant emotions, we really begin to destroy our inner life. And when I say our inner life, I mean our inner life in the sense of like the place where things reside, like responsibility, commitment, um, things like uh, imagination, creativity, uh, decision-making, things like that. When we suppress those unpleasant emotions because of their unpleasurable tone, but you know, we, we do need to be careful about suppressing those and being able to enter into them. 
And I think one of the things I'm kind of taking away from you is that even in the midst of those difficult emotions, having a housemate, you know, going through such such difficulty is also being able to to like bring all of life into it, the the podcast and you know, your the counseling you do, you know, and and just the contribution that you're making in the world, like tremendous help in just moving forward uh, through that emotion. Yeah, look, I mean, I just really understood how I am able to separate things by talking to you. And as I've said to other people, you know, I get a lot of my learning from doing these podcasts because listening to the way different people think, how they associate things, how they uh, handle emotions. And and I mean, this topic today was just brilliant because it made me realize that I am able to still have a happy and positive life and be able to do what I need to do over here. So oh, amazing. I mean, it's really yeah. made me think about life. Well, and I, I think another thing with, when we just talk about emotion, emotional intelligence, harnessing the emotions, difficult emotions. Um, you know, I, I think I shared this on the podcast when we talked, uh, it was last time or the time before, but you know, again, there's that line from Susan David that emotions are data, not directives. And I remember it's been like whew, a lifetime ago, but I remember I was um, in in a position where um, I had a, a colleague I worked with, and I w- and I remember I was always like every time I was around the person, I'd just be a little agitated and withdrawn, you know. And I remember like at some point I got self aware that that was happening. And I'm like, okay, Chad, like what's what's going on here? And so I took a couple of days just kind of just like self reflection, journaling, like what's going on. And one of the questions I began to ask myself is the statement from Stu's and David, emotions are data, not directives. We act like emotions direct our lives, but emotions are filled with data so we can self-direct our lives. And so I said, okay, what's the data in this that I'm experiencing this, this kind of frustration, this withdrawal, this aloofness. And after about two days, it just like, bam, it hit me. It's like, you're envious of that leader's traits, their leadership traits, their personality traits, you're envious. And ooh, that was not uncomfortable. That was not comfortable to get face to face with. Yeah. And so kind of going back to a little bit what I was mentioning, I said, okay, Chad, what's something you value in life right now? Like you're getting real aware that you're super envious right now and it's causing some unhealthy emotional reactions. So what do you value in life right now? Because I mentioned step two is like identify core values. And for me, I remember it was very clear because it's something I've been thinking of for a while. It was, I want to be a better leader today than I was yesterday, a better leader tomorrow than I am today, and a better leader next week than I'm this week. Okay, great. So what is one thing I can do to begin to move forward toward that goal? How can I harness that envy that I was experiencing? So two things came up, came up for me real clear. One was, hey, Chad, you can actually put on some of those leadership traits. Go out and find a mentor, a book, an article. You can, you actually, as a dynamic human being, you can begin to put on some of those. Maybe not to the extent of that other leader, but you have some adaptability in life. Great. And then the other thing that came up for me in that envy was, Chad, you actually don't know very much about your own strengths. You need to start to understand your own strengths, strengthen your strengths, and begin using your strengths in service to others. So, Chad, go out and find a mentor, a, some books, some resources where you can start to understand your own strengths. And it was a tremendous um, just kind of aha moment for me where I was able to just take that envy and just pu- push me forward in those two directions. Not, not comfortable emotion, but, um, but you know, thankfully I was able to, to use it to move me forward. 
That's amazing. I mean, what, what you're saying there, I, I guess I've had the same experience by doing these podcasts because when I first started, I would have a list of like 20 questions, 10 I was going to ask, 10 in reserve. And then after the first probably 20, 30 podcasts, I actually thought I don't want to have questions because I actually, I, I am good at listening and analysing what someone has said and being able to speak back rather than you give me an answer and then I go, okay, Chad. So the next question I wanted to ask you, you know, it doesn't flow. And I think the banter we have uh, is really good because we're intent on listening. And luckily for us this time, I haven't got to a point where I've gone, hold on, Chad, I need to pause that because I was so listening to what you were saying that I don't even know what to say now. But do you know what I mean? When you actually believe yeah. in yourself and what your knowledge base is, and, and look, I don't know everything, but I know quite a lot about mental health and disability. And so when I have conversations with people like you, the books I've read, the information I've learned, other podcasts with you and other people, all that information just floods back into my brain. And then we can start having these organic conversations where we actually come to different points that I think people find, will find really interesting and myself as well, I find really interesting. Like you've just mentioned loads of things and I've become more self-aware. I'm not going to critically self-reflect. That was our last podcast we did about critical self-reflection. Oh, obsessive reflection. Yeah, yeah. Obsessive self-reflection. But, you yeah. know, what, what a great time to sit and have a conversation and let people listen into this conversation. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, when I'm recording these, I don't even think about anyone else listening to them because it's just you and I talking. And then when I start getting the feedback on it, I'm like, wow, that person really listened. And, oh, they they found that bit really interesting. And, you know, and it's because, you know, we record now and it might be a month or two before this goes out. And when I listen to it in the morning when it goes out again, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so much better listening to our conversation and how we would go back and forth and have all these different ideas. It, it, it's uh I don't know, I guess to me it feels like being back at uni where you have these moments where you go, oh, I know what they're talking about here. Or what about if we put this in it? Yeah. You, you know, I, just one piece of affirmation for you. You were mentioning like, you know, not necessarily having the, the 10 questions, the 10 backup, but having the conversation, having the dialogue. And when you were saying that, what, what really hit me in our conversation, because this is our third conversation, what really hit me is the dialogue we have. And, but even a layer deeper than that is this. I, I was just reading something a couple of days ago. So it's very interesting. This is coming up. But the word dialogue comes from two Greek words, dia, through, logos, meaning. There, to me, there is a sense that when you and I have a conversation that, that I'm really starting to get self-aware to now, is that there, there is a, a, a kind of greater meaning that's coming through this conversation. I think for our learning, you know, hopefully for the learning of other people that will be listening to this. Um, but it, it, it's like more than us just expressing ourselves. It's somehow there's a meaning coming through the conversation that I think can be a benefit to each other and to other people. So uh, just just to affirm you on that, on just the conversational nature of these of these discussions. I usually once I finish the podcast, I go away. And especially if I'm doing one at night, eight, nine o'clock at night. I probably don't get to bed till about one because I'm rethinking over what we've discussed and what ways I can integrate some of that into my life and those little wow moments. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm glad the audience is getting as much out of it as what we are because, 
you know, great thinkers like yourself. I mean, I, I love the way you think. And, and you're probably one of the only people that I speak to who's read all these different books and you, you remember the quotes and you remember how they come together. So it, it's always, it's always interesting speaking to you. And uh, that was another fantastic podcast, mate. I'm really, really happy with the discussion there. Great. I loved it. I love it. I love our conversations. Beautiful. Well, I think we will end there. And uh, thank you, Chad, for coming back for season three. You'll definitely be another guest on season four um, because the people love love you and I I love talking to you. So it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Well, if you ever get to the States, uh, we'd love to connect sometime. Yeah, we'll have a meeting of the minds over lunch or dinner. Yeah, I would love it. I'd love it. All right. Thank you so much, Chad. Have a good evening. All right. You too. Thanks, Daniel. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening.